You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are glad that you're here. So I guess it was about eight years ago, I was driving up to West Palm Beach for a meeting, and it was one of those afternoons where it starts pouring rain in South Florida, like the world's coming to an end for an hour. That's kind of what was happening as I was driving up I-95. So uh, it was raining really hard. I was with a friend, we were in the uh, HOV lane, and then the car in front of me stops short, and once again, remember, it's raining, so I stop short as well, and then the car behind me hits me. And I'm, I'm a little frustrated uh, because the car behind me, I had seen them kind of driving a little too close as it was. So I get out of the car. The lady that hits me gets out of the car and starts yelling about how someone hit her car, and that's what pushed her into my car. The problem is that phantom vehicle was never seen uh, or nobody, no, there was somebody else, but we didn't know. We never saw them. Anyway, so I called the cops, and uh, it turns out the car was not hers. She doesn't have her insurance card, and she can't quite remember the name of the insurance company that she has. The other thing was, and this is an important detail, is that she gets out of the car, and, uh, and she is covered in powder from powdered donuts. And uh, because there was a dozen, there was a box of, dozen, uh, of, of donuts wedged in the top of the, uh, the, the top of the, the, the front of the car. And so anyway, so apparently she was eating donuts instead of paying attention to the road. So then I say to her, and I'm like, listen, but why were you in the HOV lane? You're driving by yourself. She's like, okay, well, that was a mistake, but I was getting off at the next exit, so it's okay. Like, no, lady, it's not okay. And uh, so, and by the way, the exit's all the way on the right. What are you doing all the way? Anyway, I don't want to get myself worked up at church. So anyway, so I just left it alone. It, and once again, this meeting was, it was a two-hour meeting. The person was out of town. So every minute that I'm late, I'm kind of missing out on the time that I have. So I hung out for one reason, and it's an important reason, a little thing called justice. So I'm there. I'm waiting for justice to be served. I wanted her to get a ticket, and, uh, which the cop did not give her, by the way. Um, and they were both laughing together as I drove away. And, uh, and I remember uh, when I asked the cop, she's like, no, I'm not going to give her a ticket. And I'm like, hold on. She was driving in the HOV lane. That's a ticketable offense. She doesn't have proof of insurance. That's a ticketable offense. She hit my car. That's a ticketable offense. And, uh, and I'm like, is this lady your cousin? And uh, I probably shouldn't have said that. And she, said, she, she uh, said that I need to leave before she found a reason to give me a ticket. And, uh, and I'm like, hey, all right, I'm out. And so anyway, so um, I get to the meeting an hour late, and I'm still very frustrated about what happened. So I'm driving home and I'm still talking. My friend is with me and I'm talking about there's no justice in the world and all this. And so um, now as I'm talking about how there's no justice, the lights turn on behind me and there's a cop because he's now pulling me over. And you can only imagine, and he's, he comes over and this poor guy does not even know what he's walking into. And, uh, and so he says, sir, do you know why I, why I pulled you over? And, uh, and I'm like, sir, there's only one reason why you're going to pull me over, and it's because you're going to say that I was speeding as well. You were doing 45 in a 20, you're doing 40 in a 25 license and registration. And I'm like, sir, I, my car just got hit two hours ago by a woman covered in donuts. 
and there is no way on this planet that you are going to give me a ticket if there is any justice in this world. And he says, sir, are you okay? Oh, I'm okay. He's okay. Can just give me your license and registration. So anyway, I give him the license and registration. And he walks back. And once again, I talk to cops. I know so many cops. And they, they, never, they I don't know what the deal is. They don't tell me what's going on back there. But it's like they take forever. And, uh, and I don't know if it's like, well, I'm going to get to you. I'm going to finish my game of Minesweeper. And then I'm going to get to this. And if you didn't get that joke, I'm sorry. Apparently, you did not use Windows 95. And uh, so anyway, so he comes back. He says, hey, sorry, it took me a little while. My computer was down. Will you please sign this? And I'm like, sir, you got to understand I'm not having a good night. I'm like, sir, I need you to help me to have a better night. And he's like, sir, I'm trying to help you. This is a warning. And, uh, and so could you just please relax and have a nice night? Now, I'm glad he didn't ask me what I did for a living and because uh, I think that would have created a little bit of a complicated problem. But I don't know if you've had, uh, and I think we all have, we, we've had these days where just everything starts compounding and getting worse. And th- then, you know, sometimes... Sometimes the day starts and everything is so bad. It's like 11 in the morning and you're like, you know what I need is to go to sleep and for it to be tomorrow. You know, I don't know if you had a day like that, but um, the hard part is when we're going through a season like that, you don't know uh, when that season is going to end. Sometimes you wonder if it's going to end. And sometimes the season starts because uh, there are people that we have trusted and they have let us down, or there's people that should have been there for us who weren't, and then there's people that um, we, we had faith in and, and betrayed us. And the problem is, and this is what we're going to look at in our time together, Jesus is experiencing all of this all at the same time on the same night. So we find ourselves in message number 41 in our series in the Gospel of Matthew, and we have arrived to the night before Jesus' crucifixion. By the time this night is over, Jesus' closest friends are going to bail on him, and someone that he trusted the most is is going to betray him in the worst possible way. Now, there's some important theological ideas that we're going to talk about throughout this, but there's another truth that I want us to carry as well that we're going to explore towards the end of our message. And that is, listen, if you've ever struggled with something like this, or you've ever been through a situation where people have let you down, and if you've ever felt alone because the people that should have been there for you weren't there for you, I want you to know this. After reading this, you're going to know this, that Jesus understands. And not only that, you're going to understand, and because he understands, he is not going to bail on you even if others have. I love this passage in Deuteronomy that says, be strong and courageous. Uh, let there be light. There we go. Um, Uh, Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you, for he will never leave you or forsake you. Now, I'm going to tell you this as we get going, and and not just, uh, and I'm probably going to remind us of this as we get through these last couple of chapters, is that we're treading on holy ground. This is the most powerful moment in Jesus's ministry, and everything that's happening is leading us to the cross. And there is nothing that he did to deserve any of this. And yet he finds himself in this situation nonetheless. And it's because he's allowing this to happen because he's standing in our shoes, ready to die on our behalf. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 31. Here's what we read. It says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered and said to them, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus answered and said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter answered and said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. And if you pause there and give me your attention, three things we're going to look at when it comes to betrayal. The first is this, is that Jesus is with me even when others stumble. Now, I use the word stumble because that's the word that Jesus employs about how the disciples are going to feel about him tonight. Now, things are moving pretty quickly. Remember, Jesus has had the Passover Seder, which sometimes we call the Last Supper, with his disciples. Um, it's around probably 8 p.m. He's walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now we find ourselves around 9 p.m. Between 9 p.m. and 9 a.m. the following day, uh, he's going to undergo six trials, um, illegal trials, and then at nine, by 9 a.m. he'll be crucified. But the reason why Jesus uses this word stumble, it's this Greek word skandalizo, which obviously gets translated into English as scandal or scandalous. And so he would become a scandal to the disciples and all of them would stay away. But here's the thing that he tells them. He goes, look, you're all going to be made to stumble tonight because that's what the prophecy is. And he quotes this prophecy from the book of Zechariah about how if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And then uh, he gives them this wonderful promise that it isn't forever. He says, but look, when it's all over, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. And we'll see that in chapter 28 uh, in a couple of weeks. But I want you to follow what's, what's happening here. Jesus says, all of you are going to leave me tonight. In fact, the Bible says that you're going to do it. And their response is, no way it could happen. And then Peter doubles down. Even if all these chumps say they're going to deny you, I'll never deny you. And uh, by 6 a.m., just hours from now, he will have denied knowing Jesus three times. And the third time, he's calling down curses on himself that he doesn't know who Jesus is. And it tells us this, and I think that this is the important thing. The Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians says this, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. But my friends, here's the thing. You and I aren't perfect. And if, you, if, and if you're not sure, ask your wife, and uh, she will confirm it. Um, but here's the thing, is that because of that, we need grace. We need God's grace. And grace is a word that gets kind of thrown around in our culture, even though we don't really understand what it means. But grace means this. It means undeserved favor. It's getting something good that we don't deserve. And mercy is not getting the consequences of what we do deserve. And so, once again, that night, 40 and a 25, when that police officer didn't give me a ticket and gave me a warning, that was mercy. Grace picks up where mercy leaves off and adds a blessing that we didn't deserve to it. Now, the best way I know how to describe this is a friend of mine had this happen to him, and so I'll tell you his story, and I, I love telling the story because I wish it was me. Um, but he used to be on the board of directors of a college and they were able to bring in Mark Hamill as a speaker. Now, this is Mark Hamill. And um, if you don't know who this is, we can't be friends, okay? And so, now, um, but he was able to bring in Mark Hamill uh, as a speaker. And so my friend was the one that was tasked to pick up Mark Hamill from the airport. But they, his flight came in late from Los Angeles. And this is, he was flying into Utah. And so uh, he started speeding to get Mark to the school on time. But a cop sees him speeding on the highway and turns on the lights and pulls him over. And so the cop walks up 
and says license and registration. But as the comp is walking up, um, Mark Hamill says to my buddy, he says, hey, let me handle this. And um, he, he walks over and the cop says license and registration, and he leans his head out and says, you don't need to see his license or registration. And, um, and the fact that not more of you laughed really concerns me <laughs> that you don't know what's happening here. And so I need some of you to watch a few movies tonight. We're watching the Jesus Revolution tonight. A few, some of us are coming with us, but those of you that aren't, you have work to do tonight. So anyway, so he says, you don't need to see his license and registration. Well, the cop freaks out. He says, dude, you're Luke Skywalker. And he says, hey, man, we're trying to get to the college. Can you help us out? He's like, help you out? I'm going to give you a police escort. And the guy pulls out front, turns the lights on, and you would have thought it was some you know, foreign dignitary that was flying through the streets of Salt Lake City. And so, and listen, not getting a ticket, that's mercy. The police escort was grace. And once again, Luke Skywalker, well, that's just pure awesome. And, uh, and so, but most of us think about grace in terms of forgiveness. We're like, well, that's where Jesus was gracious with me and forgave me through Jesus' sacrifice. And that is completely true. The only thing that I would add is, is that simply that's where grace begins. It's not where it ends. It begins because grace begins to extend into every area of our lives. And if you want a life that is full of joy, grace has to be a big ingredient. Listen, the only way to have friendships in this life is to be gracious because people are going to let you down. And if you cut off everyone who messes up, you will be alone. If you lack grace in your marriage, you're not going to be married for very long. Because the only way for a marriage to work is for two people to be dedicated to grace. You see, when others stumble, we need to be gracious. Why? Because God has been gracious to us. And so it goes on. They get to, they're walking from where the upper room was to the Mount of Olives. At the Mount of Olives, there is a garden called Gethsemane. And uh, if you come with us to Israel, we'll spend, we're going to spend a good amount of time there. But look at what it says in verse 36. It says, then Jesus came to them to a place called Gethsemane. And said to the disciples, sit here while I go pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Indeed, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, And went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing, as we talk about betrayal, is that Jesus is with me even when he says no. 
Now, I want to set the scene, as I mentioned. The Seder is done. They're headed to Gethsemane to pray, which is, once, as I mentioned, a garden on the Mount of Olives. It's about 9 p.m. on Thursday. And Jesus spends about three hours uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. By the time this is all over, it's going to be about midnight. And so he takes his disciples and says, uh, sit, sit while I go over there to pray. Now remember, Jesus is very well known. Uh, and in the past, people have found out where Jesus was and huge crowds begin to form. And so most scholars agree that he separates the group. He probably asks not, or at that time, eight of the disciples to wait uh, at the entrance of the garden to give him a little bit of privacy while he goes to pray. And then he takes Peter, James, and John with him into the garden. And so he goes further, a uh, little bit past where they are and falls on his face and says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not, nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. Now, Gethsemane is, a he, is two Hebrew words. Uh, it, gat, which means oil, and shemen, uh, which means press. And so it's an, oil, it's an olive press. This garden was a place where olive oil was produced. And the way they would do that is they'd take these two large stones, they'd put the olives in there, and they would begin to crush them. And as they crushed them, the oil that was released was sent through this little channel, and that's where the oil was collected. But it was a place, oil, uh, olive oil is made through crushing. And this is, I think, uh, very illustrative of what's happening right now, where Jesus is being crushed. Um, and he's asking if there's any other way. Any other way for what? For humanity to be saved, for humanity to know God and spend eternity with him without the cross. Now, this is really important. And, and this is one of the things that when we talk about Christianity in a relativistic society, uh, it, there are become points of conflict. Now, let me explain. When I talk about what does it mean to a relativistic society or moral relativism, moral relativism, that's a philosophy that believes that all points of view are equally valid and all truth is relative to the individual. So truth is true if it's true to you. And if it's not true to you, but it's true to someone else, then that's their truth. And now the problem with it is, is that you dig a little deeper and it's really just a facade in the, the ideology. Really, it's you can believe whatever you want as long as you agree with us, or if not, we're going to make your life impossible. But and this is one of the things that's, that happens is, and, and once again, we want to be loving as Christians and, and, and we want to um, offer God's love and grace to everybody, but we're living in a society and sometimes we really don't know how to answer. And what happens when you live in a society where uh, men decide that their truth is that they're actually a woman? A woman decides her truth is that she's actually a man. We have, by the way, in the UK, there is a whole movement of people, and you can feel free to Google this if you want, a whole movement of people who identify as dogs. And I mean, like, full on, as, and, and it is, you know, it's sad, really. And, and listen, and once again, and the idea is to disagree is to be hateful. And, and once again, it's just, once again, whenever someone says, that, oh, you disagree, it's that's just a sign of a weak argument. Um, listen, truth Truth means that something corresponds to reality. And if something is true, it's true for everybody. And that doesn't mean that everybody's going to like it, and it doesn't mean that everybody is going to agree with it, but it doesn't make something less true because someone dislikes it. But sometimes they'll say, well, see, you're just saying that there's an absolute truth for everybody, and I don't believe that there's absolute truth. And as I've told you in the past, the problem with that statement is that that statement in and of itself is an absolute 
And, and this is, this is, and here's why I bring this up, is because Jesus prays and doesn't hear an alternative from heaven as to how can people be saved? Well, then there's the cross, but there's no other way. And this is where we start to talk about the exclusivity of Christianity. Jesus in the garden is showing us that there is no other way to God than besides him. And Jesus has been saying this. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And if there were other ways to God, if all roads lead to heaven, if all you have to do is be a good person and be sincere and make sure you recycle, if uh, those things were true, uh, then, then listen, if we're being honest, then Jesus died needlessly. You see, one of the objections that people have to Christianity is the belief that Jesus is the only way and that's just too narrow. And this is why, listen, there's even people who say that even the idea of doing evangelism is wrong. That they'll say, it's wrong for you to try to convert someone to your spiritual reality. And once again, my problem is that idea in and of itself, that it's wrong to convert someone to your spiritual reality, is in and of itself a spiritual reality. And that, that you're trying to convert someone to, why? Because everyone's view, and this is important, when people say, well, Christianity's too narrow, everyone's view is narrow. Even those who say it doesn't matter what you believe, uh, as long as you know, you're sincere about it, that is an exclusive position that you're taking. And you're saying that to believe otherwise is wrong. And so whatever your view is, whatever your worldview is, you're, you have this belief, every person has this belief, that if everyone would adopt that worldview, the world would be better. And listen, I'm sorry to tell you this, but that has exclusivity built into it. Because you believe that is the best truth to embrace. And that means you're no less exclusive than the person who believes that one way is the best truth to embrace. And so Jesus is struggling in the garden because there is no other way. And listen, you don't have to believe that. But Jesus believed it and he believed it so much that he died for every human person on this planet. Now, there's one more thing I want to talk about before leaving this section, and that is, what do we do when we find ourselves in this position where we're praying for circumstances to be different, for something to change and there's a gap between our will and God's will. What happens when we're praying for God to do something and make something different and things don't change? Because listen, things didn't change. Jesus prays to hear from heaven and, and there's no answer from heaven. And right after this prayer session, Jesus is going to be arrested. There's going to be interrogations. There's going to be beating. There's going to be torture and ultimately crucifixion. So what do you do when your will and God's will are different? What do you do when you pray and nothing happens? Well, there's three things that I want to talk about that I think are important for us as Christians. And the first is this, is to commit yourself to pray more. Sometimes we'll say, we're not sure what God wants us to do, and we will pray once and then give up. And here's my point. When, when you're unsure, commit yourself that you're going to pray continually about this thing and that we're not going to give up. We need to start seeking God the same way and with the same intensity that we seek out late night snacks. I'm telling you when you are when you are looking for a late night snack you are the most vigilant person on this planet and we need to pray that way you open the fridge and there's nothing there and then you start walking around and you you start op you're opening cupboards and you're like man so maybe someone left half a sub where we put our uh, cups you know, you're opening the pantry and moving stuff around. You're like, oh, I found chocolate. And then it's like that baking chocolate. That's gross. And, uh, and then you open the fridge again. Like, oh, maybe I didn't see some. You're looking at everything from a different angle. And then nothing's different. Then we start opening the microwave or the oven. And we're like, hey, maybe someone like started dinner and then forgot. And I can get in on that action. And then, then we go back to the fridge, hoping against hope. And then you're like, I saw it. I see salsa. And then it's like, no, you didn't see salsa. You saw through a container 
that was like one of those ones and, and it had like this tomato that was like half going bad and you're like, dude, I gotta clean out this fridge. And uh, man, I had this, I was, looking for, I was looking for something and I couldn't believe my eyes that I found a piece of cake. This is a few weeks ago. I found a piece of cake in my fridge. I, you would have thought I found a hundred bucks. And, uh, and I mean, I was so happy that it got left in the fridge and then I opened the bin and I realized the piece of cake got put in this container that had previously contained garlic. And uh, man, you could have killed a vampire with that garlic chocolate cake. I mean, it was ruined. I mean, don't get me wrong, I still ate it. But, because, I mean, you can't waste it. I was just like, I mean, what kind of madness? You can't waste it. But man, so, but sometimes we just pray once and then we move on. When your will and God's will aren't in alignment, you've got to decide that you're not going to stop praying. You've got to make a decision that you're actually going to pray more so that your heart can get into alignment with God's. Because there's one of two things that are going to happen. You're either going to keep praying and God is using this situation to draw you in before he answers, or something different's going to happen. God starts drawing you in as you pray, and then your heart starts to change, and the prayer that you pray starts to change, and then when it start, you start praying in a way that is in alignment with what God wants, then he answers. But listen, the answer is never just pray once and forget about it. It's pray once and then keep praying until something happens. The second thing is learn what God has already said. You, you and I have to make it a point to get into God's word and then get God's word into us. Because when God's word gets into us, it changes us. You know, this is so important. You know, there's a whole bunch of things in life you don't even have to pray about. You can just know what God has already said on the subject and just do it and know that what I'm doing is in God's will. Because if you read the Bible, you'll find guidance on a whole myriad of issues and know that God is leading you because it's in the Bible and God's never going to contradict what he's already said. The Apostle Paul would say it this way about the, what God's word does in our lives. But the Bible does this. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, or correcting, or then it says correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to notice that, that it's like, it's, it's profitable for teaching. That is that God's word has the ability to inform us, but then it corrects us, which means it's not, it doesn't just inform us, it transforms us. And it, there is something so powerful that happens because it gives us a picture of what life would, could look like if we followed God's design. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is that you read the Bible and it's not like it's like these ethereal spiritual truths, like what does this even mean and how does this connect to daily life? It's so wildly practical that it just, it has such an impact on us. So I, when I was, um, and I remember one of the first times that I really experienced this, I was about 21. I had been a Christian for less than two years and I co-signed for someone to buy a, a, an apartment. And it was a horrible decision. I had just become a Christian, as I mentioned, and I didn't want them to think I didn't care about them because I'm, I'm following Jesus. And so I sign on the dotted line and they promise, they're like, hey, I know what you're doing. I just want you to know that um, I am going to pay on time no matter what. And so I, do I even need to tell you the end of this story? Uh, no, you don't because you know how this kind of story goes because people who don't pay on time the first time usually don't pay on time the second time. And so they didn't pay on time even though they promised to. They ended up selling the place but had paid late a bunch of times and that had some impact on me when I was younger. And, uh, and so then in the middle of all of that, 
after, um, you know, so now I'm like, you know, 22, 23, and I'm reading through the entire Bible. I get to this passage in Proverbs, and I put it in your notes, but here's what it says. It's poor judgment to guarantee another person's debt uh, or to put up security for a friend. So anyway, and I'm like, man, wow, what a, that's a powerful truth. I wish I would have known that two years ago or a year ago, whatever it was. And so then the person sold the place. They came back to me, and they're like, wow, um, I'm glad I got out of this situation. Hey, listen, when we do this again, uh, it's not going to be like that. I'm like, well, I can assure you it's definitely not going to be like that because it ain't going to happen. And they're like, what, what would Jesus do? And uh, they pulled one of those. And, uh, and I'm like, well, you know what Jesus would do? He would obey what it says in Proverbs, um, especially because he inspired Solomon to write it. And, uh, and, so, and, and listen, that proverb directed my steps and met me right where I was and gave me wisdom I never would have come up with as someone who was 22, 23 years old. This is what knowing the Bible does in our lives and when we're open to it. Listen, it will transform how we make decisions because following Jesus doesn't just make your life better. Following Jesus makes you better at life. Third thing, and then we're gonna move on, and that is you've gotta decide that you're gonna trust God's heart. Ultimately, you have to decide, are you gonna trust your perspective or are you gonna trust uh, what, that God sees beyond what you can see? And you know what I love is that our Heavenly Father knows better and He cares for us. Listen, we're in Gethsemane and Jesus is praying. You know, and you know what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12? It says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, there was no joy, no joy in Gethsemane. But there was joy after because of what Gethsemane produced. And sometimes you feel like what you're going through and you're like, man, I feel like I'm going, it feels like death. And you're like, man, it can't get worse. Well, you know what happens when there's death, there's burial. But if you will stick with it and, and watch what God can do, after burial comes resurrection. And my friends, that's where all the joy is. Well, verse 47, it says this. It says, and while he was still sleeping, are still speaking. Behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him, and suddenly one of those who was with Jesus struck out, uh, uh, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword, uh, take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Pause there and give me your attention. Last thing I want to tell you, and that is that Jesus is with me even when friends betray me. Now, 
The same reason that the chief priests needed someone to find Jesus is the same reason that the disciples fell asleep. It was midnight. And so Judas is, is there to guide them because Judas is the one that's saying, uh, another gospel tells us that Jesus liked to go to the Mount, uh, the, the, to go to the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And so Judas is like, hey, I know where he's more than likely going to be. And so they show up. Remember, it's, you got to understand, it's the first century. It's midnight. It's pitch black. There are no lights. Uh, there's, there's no street lamps. There's no light on your iPhone. It's just pitch black other than a few torches that are lit. And I don't know about you. And people, you know, I listen to preachers, and they give the disciples such a hard time for falling asleep. I'm like, dude, it's midnight and pitch black. You put me in a dark room at four in the afternoon, and I will be out in five minutes. Um, in fact, listen, as a fam- we eat dinner together at the table as a family every night without fail. And then we'll a lot of times watch a show or something afterwards. And after dinner, the most common phrase that is spoken at our house, it's four words. This is the most common phrase that's spoken, is dad still awake? Because, dude, if it's like 8.30 and they're putting on a show, even one that I'm interested in and I get comfortable, it's over. I'm done. I don't remember 90% of the movies I took my kids to when they were little. I, and, uh, and I remember... I remember taking the kids to see the, this movie called Trolls. I don't know if you remember that. It came out a few years ago. And I remember taking the kids to the movies called, the, and which I was totally shocked. It was about a troll. I thought it was about people that said mean things on the internet. And, uh, but I guess they don't make movies about those people. And um, anyway, but I remember telling Mia, my daughter Mia was sitting next to me, and I'm like, Mama, I, I, that movie was so short. I remember seeing the main troll. He got himself into a little bit of trouble. And then, I don't know, I closed my eyes for a second, and now there's like a whole bunch of people singing, and the movie's over. And she's like, Dad, you've been asleep for an hour and a half. And I'm like, really? That's amazing. And you know, listen, I don't know what movie theaters are thinking. When, uh, this was like one of the first movies, like they installed those recliners. What, like, what are they? And then, there, you know, there's other movie theaters that are like, oh, we're going to give you a pillow um, and uh, a blanket. Like, what else are you giving out? Ambien? Uh, like, you just don't even want people to see these movies at all. But it's like, dude, I get there. And it's like, like, oh, yeah, this is not going to happen. You know, I already know going in. And it doesn't matter how much caffeine I take in. I just know it's over. By the time the, the uh, previews are done, I'm out. And uh, anyway, so, so Judas shows up with a great multitude. And I'm so glad that John's gospel gives us a touch more detail He says it's a detachment of troops. A detachment of troops was one-tenth of a Roman legion, which was 6,000 men. So this is a detachment now is 600 troops plus all the people that were sent from the high priest. This is an overwhelming crowd that has shown up. And Judas has to give them a sign. He's like, hey, this is the deal. The one that I kiss, that's the one. Now, this meant that Jesus looked very similar to the people around him. And I know that sometimes, you know, I joked around about this last week, um, but, you know, it's like, well, which one is Jesus? Well, he's the one with the halo. You know, you can't miss him. He's the one that's glowing. Um, That's not the case. Jesus looked very common, and that's by design. Um, In fact, in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, when the prophet is describing the Messiah, it says, he has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was plain. Um, and, and there's one other detail I don't want to miss before we get into the Judas kiss at the end. And that is that the high, Matthew records that one of the disciples drew his sword 
and struck the servant of the high priest. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the same thing. Now remember, Matthew's recording his account. The Gospel of Mark, or John Mark, is, uh, the Gospel of Mark is Peter's account. So John Mark was just the guy who wrote it down, but Peter is the one who, it, it's, it's his account of the Gospel. And then Luke is uh, the doctor. Um, but all of them record the same thing. It was one of the disciples. And, you know, Mark's like, well, it was just one of us did that. And, um, you know, John is the one that kind of rats Peter out. And he's like, because if you look in John 18, it says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's uh, servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. And listen, if you know Peter and you've read the Gospels, you know Peter was not aiming for that dude's ear. Peter was probably trying to take off his head. Um, and he was just a little groggy from the little nap he had taken earlier. And, uh, and that was that. But okay, so the part of the story that's so hurtful is not just the betrayal, but why? Why does Judas give Jesus a kiss? Because that, the kiss was the common greeting between a rabbi and his students. So let, I, I told you this last week that I would talk about it. So let's talk about the betrayal. Why would Judas betray Jesus? We know this, and we talked about this last time. We know it wasn't about money. Because he got betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, which accounts to, an, you know, it works out to about 20 bucks. It's not about the money. So there's lots of reasons why, but there's really only two that make sense to me. And the two are probably somewhat related. The first is that Judas was disappointed that Jesus was not the kind of Messiah that he had hoped for. Jesus was not planning on overthrowing Rome. He was not planning on overthrowing the religious elite in Israel. And consequently, there was no position of privilege or power for Judas to take. The second is, and this is probably what I, I lean more towards, is that the betrayal could have been Judas's way to force Jesus' hand to establish his kingdom if he were forced into a confrontation with Rome. Now, you can feel free to like one of those theories or neither is fine. Here's what we know for sure. In Luke chapter 22, it says this, Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way, conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. Now, we can't be 100% sure, but we do know this, is that when Jesus is beaten and tortured, Judas has a change of heart and seeks to return the money, which leads me to believe that he was simply tricked by Satan into thinking that he could force Jesus' hand to start a military campaign against Rome. And when he realized that this plan was a disaster, he killed himself. Judas betrayed Jesus, and one of the things that Judas learned is that Satan betrayed Judas as well. So what do you do when you're the one who gets betrayed? What do you do when you're on the other side of that? And, and this is, when he, remember, Jesus says to Judas, he doesn't say, well, look at you, my enemy. No, he says friend. The, Greek, the Hebrew word is haver. Haverim is the word that would be used for our covenant students, right? These are people who were in covenant together. He was the haver. He was a close friend. And we'll talk a little bit more about that at a later time. But what do you do when there's been betrayal? Three things for sure so we can find healing and move forward. The first is this. You've got to come to this understanding. Number one is that betrayal can happen to anyone. Here's how we can know that for sure, because it happened to Jesus. And Jesus is a better judge of character than you or I will ever be. 
And sometimes what we do when we experience betrayal is that we beat ourselves up thinking that we somehow allowed this to happen. You see, and we think, man, if I would have been smarter or wiser, if I had more insight, I wouldn't have let it happen. Listen, sometimes there is no way of knowing. There's no way of knowing. Um, a few years ago, I was betrayed by a, by a dear friend, and, um, and there was just no way to know. And I'm telling you, and then I did the same thing, and I'm like, I'm going to CSI this. I'm going to figure out what I could have. No, it, it doesn't work like that. Sometimes people make evil decisions, and it is as simple and as complicated as that. And sometimes, listen, when you've been betrayed, you start thinking that you did something to deserve it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Sometimes people do evil things. But my point is this. You didn't do anything to deserve it, but you cannot live there. You've got to move forward in forgiveness and freedom. And that's why number two says that recovering begins with forgiveness. Whenever someone sins against you, the healthiest thing you can do for yourself is to forgive. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to immediately trust this person again or ever again. Forgiveness is something that as Christians, we are commanded to give freely. Forgive, uh, trust is something that has to be earned. But to hold on and withhold forgiveness from the, the betrayer and because of the betrayal and never let it go. Listen, the person that you're killing is you. You have to decide to forgive and it will probably take forgiving them a thousand times a day before you stop thinking about it every day and start to move forward. But if you don't make the decision to forgive, it will destroy your future. And if you don't believe me, ask someone who's gone through a bitter divorce because of betrayal and never forgiven. It, listen, it keeps them from healing. It keeps them from moving forward. It keeps them from loving in the future. Listen, when you forgive, you're making the decision that you're going to let yourself out of the prison. You're the one that's going to be free. And then the last thing is, is you don't let the betrayer change you. Let it make you wiser. Let it make you more discerning. But don't let what one person did impact your future. And don't let it make you a person who closes themselves off to everyone else. And sometimes that's what we do. We'll say, we get hurt by someone. We're like, that's it. And I'm never going to let anybody hurt me again. And, 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 and we do that. And the problem is, is that by cutting everyone off, we're hurting ourselves. Listen, you want to know the best thing? You want to get a betrayer back? Here's what the best thing you can do. Live a joyful life. Live a life that's blessed by God in freedom and forgiveness and move on. Because listen, you didn't do any, if you've been betrayed, you didn't do anything wrong. So don't pay a penalty for something that you didn't do. Because you want to know that the, the, the reality is it never works out for betrayers. It never works out. Judas ended up hanging himself. Jesus rose again and had joy beyond the cross. Betrayers don't live well. They don't have, they're not even living at all. They're just existing. But you walk with Jesus. And you will find the thing that he promised us, which is fullness of joy. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that, that very promise, that very reality that you're doing a good work in us. And God, if we've been hurt for anyone in this room who's experienced betrayal, 
who has been hurt by those that they trusted, God, we pray for forgiveness, we pray for peace, we pray for healing, and we pray that we'd move forward with you, staying in step with your spirit as you lead and direct us. God, we pray that you'd empower us to live a better life, one that isn't impacted by this. It happened, and we acknowledge that it happened, but we're not gonna let it define us. It's not gonna change who we are. We're gonna let you change who we are, and we're gonna let you define us as we move into the future. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.